Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. Hello, welcome back. I hope you didn't miss me too much last week. I took a little break. I know that was so unlike me. I just celebrated 50 episodes. We did this like all these weeks straight through and I just needed to take some time. I wasn't really feeling great. I honestly was very shook up from the Texas shooting, the school shooting, which I'm sure all of you were. I just was like, you know what, I'm gonna practice what I preach and give myself a break, listen to myself and not push it. And you know what, I want to give 110% every time I put out an episode, I didn't want to half ass something just for the sake of saying, oh, there's an episode up. And in the newsletter, I said, take that hour that you would normally listen to the episode and go call a loved one, reach out to somebody, the world's going through a tough time, we all could use a little bit more love. And if you're sitting here saying newsletter, what newsletter? Well, make sure you sign up for that. It is on my website, ssfylpodcast.com. You can subscribe there or contact me on Instagram at so sorry with Gianna and I'll make sure you get signed up as well. Bi-weekly emails going out with all these updates about the episodes that are coming out, some fun deals and promos that I have going on, and also updates on the new store, All the Skies. So that will be coming in a few weeks. Um, I talked more about that in the last episode. So the one right before I had the break, I gave you an update on the name change, but really fun stuff will be coming out of that. Um, Also today's episode, I'm obsessed with. Okay. There's a lot of concrete information that you're going to find out in this episode. This is someone who I met at a podcast conference. She's incredible. We connected right away. You'll hear all about her story of grief and why she's on this mission to make sure that we are all prepared for the crazy logistics that go into death and dying. I know it's not what we want to talk about, but think about it. Think about your experience with grief. There most likely was some shit that went down with logistics, whether it be a will or an advanced directive or power of attorney or something. All of these terms are probably similar and probably sending off alarms in your head because you're like, oh yeah, that did happen. That was really crazy or we weren't prepared for this or whatever. She wants to make it so that we are all preparing ourselves and our family for anything to go wrong. And it's really interesting too, because some of it can be really, really simple. Like one of the things that she recommends is just creating a contact list for yourself. Figure if you live in a different state away from your family, they may not know who your circle of friends is where you live. They might not know the people at work to contact if something goes wrong or something happens to you. She will give you these concrete steps of what you can do to prepare yourself. I want to have her on again to talk about how we can have these difficult conversations with family members because, again, you know, death is uncomfortable to talk about. But she's really good about talking about all of it. She has this podcast called Dying Kindness where she talks about that specifically. So you can either go check out that episode on her podcast, Dying Kindness, 
or I'll have her back on the show. But for today, she goes over what she calls her death binder and what you need to know and what you need to make sure you gather the information that you have together so that you can go into a very scary situation for yourself or for your family and feel a little bit more prepared. You can find the information for her website and for the template that she calls her death binder in the show notes. Um, Also some book recommendations from her. All of my links. I'd love for you to come follow me on social at So Sorry with Gianna, like I mentioned. Go check out the website, ssfylpodcast.com. And when you're done with all that, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Give me five stars. I'll love you for it. And uh, if you write a little review, mention your name and I'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Also, stay tuned. I am developing a PDF of resources for grief that you're going to be able to go onto the website and download, use it for yourself or send it to a friend in need. So that's going to be coming up in a few weeks. Make sure you stay tuned for that. But here we are now with Sienna Stewart. Today we have Sienna Stewart, who I met at the podcast movement conference in LA in March. And if you're thinking Sienna and Gianna, yeah. That's exactly what we thought. We were like, oh my gosh, this is weird. This is meant to be. And then even more so because both of our podcasts talk about death and dying, which is exactly how we even kind of connected because I guess you heard me talking about it to somebody else and you were like, I'm sorry, did you say something about death? (laughs) That's exactly right. I'm that person when you say, oh, you know, my father passed a few years back and I was like, ooh, let me talk to you then. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And then we really just like vibed from there. Like we were like finishing each other's sentences by like the second hour that we knew each other. So true. (laughs) And we went to cocktail hour together and just went down the deep rabbit hole of grief and realized like how much we have similar thoughts on, on everything. And I really love the mission that you're on with your podcast, Dying Kindness and helping people to prepare for this because it's a shit show in, in terms of the emotions, but also in the logistics and the the documents that need to be filled out and you are really like taking it on for everybody and saying hey this doesn't need to be that hard so at the end of the episode you're going to give us your essentials list which is so so important but first i want to hear from you your experience and your relationship with grief you've had this in two very different phases of your life, first losing your mom at 15 and then losing your dad just a few years ago in 2019. So tell us about your experience. So much experience with grief. As you say, the first big one that was super close to home was my mom dying when I was 15. I had already lost my grandparents at that point on my dad's side. And so, which was a little bit more remote. I wasn't as close with them. But then when my mom died, it was completely out of the blue and it was very sudden. And I just went into shock, basically. Like I just didn't really feel much of anything for like a year not exaggerating Mm -hmm. and it just felt hard to be super happy to be super sad to do any i think i just went numb you know Mm -hmm. and i very much was in the like i just need to get things done and take care of stuff my whole family fell apart my dad's just really collapsed after Mm -hmm. that and then i have a younger brother as well and so part of what happened to me at that point was to actually just step in and start doing things like making my little brother's lunch and then when i got my driver's license driving him to school and you became that mother figure i did i did and there was definitely a too much growing up too fast kind of situation i was also you know you, you 
you know that I'm already a workaholic now as an adult and so many of us are, but even in high school, I was in that like hyper overachiever mode of, you know, having a lot of outside extracurricular activities. And I was also junior class president and I was in the county orchestra and I was doing all of this stuff. And I basically refused to give that up. And I think it was me avoiding feeling things, you know, right. I just was like, if you kept I'm just yourself busy, you didn't have to think about it. Exactly, exactly. So I just kind of just dropped right into that as a kid. Then later on, actually, in my 20s, I worked in HIV prevention and just in HIV overall. And I was also the primary caretaker for my roommate who died of AIDS. We were really, really close. And the experience of taking care of him on his sudden decline, his process of, you know, first symptoms to death was like three months, maybe, wow. maybe four. And to have him in my house, you know, it was really, it was only the two of us that lived there. And he, he decided he wanted to stay with me as opposed to going back to where he was raised, which was a lot more, you know, homophobic and closeted. Mm -hmm. So he leaned on me and it was an amazing experience, but that was also an incredible loss in my life, you know, yeah. when he died because we were close. Did you feel yourself revisiting some of the grief of your mom in that three month period that you're watching this close friend die? In some ways, yes, in that I was not able to be like, care for my mom in the same way, you mm -hmm. know, I knew more by the time that I was taking care of Jeff, and I was sad that I wasn't able to offer that to my mom. And at the same time, it was this real frustration, you know, for me, like to be working in HIV, and then to watch somebody right in front of me dying. And I was like, how can I, you know, I can't help you. And this is in my house. Like, yeah. it just makes me feel like a failure at that time. And just so frustrated with the world. And it was at a time when, unlike now, HIV, just contracting HIV was, it felt almost like a literal death, death sentence. sentence. Yeah. Exactly. And now it's much more of a, in the manageable disease category where you can actually get treatments. And if you have access to those treatments, then you can actually be quite healthy. So it's a very, very different disease than what it is right now. Is that and frustrating the, to look back at too? And just know like, God, if that would have happened to Jeff today, how different things would have been? Well, what was frustrating to me was that he died about six months before the triple combination therapies mm. were discovered. And so, you know, it's like if he had been alive for one more year, maybe he would still have been able to survive. But, you know, we lost so many people back then. Yeah. It was just, you know, all the time. And I was in San Francisco, which was really ground zero for a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So my dad, he then had diabetes for many, many years, and he came in and out of the hospital a few times. It was diabetes brought on, brought on by alcoholism. And so there was a lot of struggle around getting him to quit alcohol, which he finally did. And but even then it was just rough, you know, and I trying to support him when he did not want support. He just refused to accept help mm -hmm. and kind of in many ways refused to accept just how sick he was. You know, it's a it's hard. It's definitely watching him like fight his mortality. And he had remarried at that point. And my stepmother and I at first didn't really get along, but we ended up like bonding around taking care of him and giving each other, you know, relief in the hospital and all of that. And so it was 
actually through that that she and I got closer, which was, you know, good and bad. I want to go down that path a little bit more. What you said in like trying to help someone who isn't willing to help themselves, mm -hmm. I feel like is such a common struggle that people go through. And it's like how you can't just turn your back on somebody, but when they're not willing to meet you halfway or even a quarter of the way or take any steps at all, there's an, there's an angst to grief as it is. And then to layer that on top of it had to have been excruciating. And I'm sure there are listeners that are going through something similar. I'm just wondering if maybe you can share a little bit about that experience or <laughs> things that helped, you know, there's this whole thing of like, you can't control everything you 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 can only focus on what you can control. So were there things in that realm that you did that helped? There definitely were. So I started by, you know, trying to push talking with him about the alcohol, which of course he was really resentful. He would get very angry with me. And then finally to like make peace, I just decided to relax on that. But, you know, then my stepmother was the one who was really leaning on him and it actually took a hospitalization for him to mm. stop and f to sit with him in the hospital and to watch him go through this, you know, devastating experience where he's getting delirious. And it was just, it was just crazy. And then to have him come out of that and finally accept that he couldn't drink anymore, but still refuse to accept other things like, you know, he didn't want to stop driving. He he didn't want to talk about it when, you know, he would have these like, I don't know if you know with with diabetes, it's very easy to like lose consciousness at certain points and, mm -hmm. and it's actually quite dangerous. And so he would very reluctantly admit that that was happening. <laughs> Meanwhile, my stepmother, you know, she's the one who's supporting him and actually like physically lifting a bump off the floor and asking for her son who lived nearby her to help. And it was just frustrating because it made her feel much more isolated, you yeah. know, as a result of that. And I honestly go through it now, even just talking to people about, you know, dealing with their aging parents. If, you know, you don't even have to be in that terrible, like, okay, I can see death is coming, but it's just this process of losing you know, your whatever identities you had before, now you're, you're facing a change in who you are and what you can do, all of that kind of stuff. And honestly, I'm watching it. And I watched my father go through this. And I thought, Oh, man, I'm going to be the same way. I'm going to be a pain in the <laughs> ass kind of, you know, patient when I get older. And so I use that actually as the way of, you know, connection and empathy to the the frustration that I had. So, you know, overall, like I can't be too righteous. Like I've done all kinds of things where I like refused to go to the doctor or didn't mm -hmm. call anybody for help or just felt all like, you know, yeah, poor we're me all guilty at home. Of it and very totally. Degrees. Totally. And I think that the strongest piece of advice is to know that if you're guilty of that, if you're the kind of person that has a hard time asking for help, then put yourself in that other person's shoes. And to know also that while they might be acting aggressively, generally they're acting out of fear. Mm -hmm. There's there's an incredible. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. So you might get like hurt and mad at them and they're mad at you, but, you know, just have some some heart opening to the fact that they're like in pain, mm -hmm. you know, they're and literally faced with death in some instances. And like, this is their way of acting out. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just a loss of identity. Like if you have identified as an independent person or as somebody mm -hmm. who's like known for how sharp their brain is or for how physical they were, you know, maybe they were an athlete before or whatever. But if you're losing any of those abilities and if any of them are tied to your identity, which most of them are, that's a huge transformation and it's painful. Mm -hmm. And it's also really hard to talk about because it's, you know, it's not really like a transformation into something that you really want. You're hitting a lot of chords for me right now because it's something that is like, how do I want to phrase it? I want to say it's a defense mechanism, but it's, it's something that soothes my pain in terms of the situation with my dad. He, you know, had a heart attack and there was about five days that he was in the hospital where we were trying to save him, but it became pretty clear that we weren't going to be able to. And when we made the choice to say, okay, like, let's just let this be instead of making it even more hell and going down more roads of trying to save and whatever all that means, my family and I pretty clearly knew and could joke about it and say, like, listen, if, if he wakes up in this state, he's going to kill us. You know, this is not how he, <laughs> not who he to wants live. to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, you know, I didn't have any control over the situation, but it's like the way I like to tell myself that maybe I had a little bit of control and I was able to, to give him the, the exit, if you will, that he would have preferred as opposed to, you know, he's on a trach and he can't walk and, and all of those things that would have just been an absolutely miserable, miserable, miserable life for him. Absolutely. And so this we're I know we're going to get into like the what you want to talk about in advance of getting into that situation with people. But, you know, for some people, they're totally okay with living with, you know, certain levels of disability, as long as something else is true. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I don't mind if I can't walk as long as I can still talk and think, or, you yeah. know, as long as I can still participate in this part of the life or whatever, you know, but for other people, it's like, no, this is, this is my identity. If I don't have this, I don't have anything. Right. And that's a really critical conversation to have. Like, you know, your dad well, and you knew what he would not put up with. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just cracking up because I'm thinking about, oh my God, he would have made our lives a living hell. He would have been so mad. He would have opened up his eyes and been like, what the hell is wrong with what are you, you doing to me? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, oh he my would... God. <laughs> so Meanwhile, like, he's like up in heaven now with a cigar. He's like, you're damn right. He's I'd like, much, yeah. much rather be up here. Exactly. Way oh, better man. now. Totally. Yeah. Totally. But so what I love about you is that it's so easy when you go through these situations of having to, you know, kind of usher a loved one into the end of their life and all that goes into it, the logistics, the planning, the documents, and that stuff even spans out for months and years after they pass. It is oh, it's yeah. like just, just insult to injury one thing after another. It's very easy to turn a blind eye on all of it and say, I never want to think about that again. That was so traumatic. That was so much mental energy. I just don't have it anymore. I'm freaking done. Mm -hmm. But you <laughs> are like, no, let me pick up all of it. Let me simplify <laughs> it for everyone because guess what? Y'all are going to need this someday. 
So true. Yeah, I started off by being super righteous. So my, as you said, my dad died in 2019, you know, after pushing him to say like, hey, do you have your stuff together? And he would like, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Eventually, as he got close to the end, he finally said, yes, we, we figured it out. You know, we've called this, you know, what the Neptune Society so that we, you, they'll just pick up our bodies and cremation and you don't have to worry about all of this kind of stuff like we've handled it i'm all good and then he died mention that again really quick the neptune society give me I, a little quick briefer on that i'll have to confirm that that's the name but so there's there's a pre-need purchasing whole system so you buy in advance for what's called like a direct cremation and you pay them and you register with them so that when you die, you carry a little card in your wallet. When you die, you, whoever is with you, like assuming you're in hospice or whatever, will call the Neptune Society and then they will come and pick up the body, cremate the body, and then give the ashes to whoever you designate. And, and you pay for that in advance so that your people don't have to do that. Fascinating. Yeah. Can you do that with a, your standard run of the mill funeral home too? Can you pay for in advance for that type of thing? Like I know yes. you can pay for a plot in a cemetery, but if that's not the route you want to go, can you do that with cremation? Yeah, you can do it with cremation. You can actually even prepay a casket and, you know, for the embalm, you can prepay almost all the funeral costs, all that kind of stuff. And so I will note, however, it's best to do that if you're pretty close to mm -hmm. actually dying. If you do it, well in advance, there's some issues that you might run into. So one of them is that the prices might go up by the time inflation. you die. Yeah. Even more, you may move away to another location. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you're not in the city where that funeral home is, like what happens now? Do you pay for the body to get moved to that other city because all of the funeral costs are paid for there? Or do you just double pay and forget it? There's also been some scandals around certain funeral homes, like misusing the funds or using them for, mm -hmm. you know, going ahead and spending them in advance right. and all of that. So it's a, you know, you have to know the place really well. And I recommend doing it if you're, close to death, but not actually when you're as, as part of your super future plan. Mm -hmm. Or if you're far away from death, what you can do, there's two options for being able to save some of your people money. And I'm no, I'm getting super into like practical stuff already. Whatever. Talk about emotional grief. No, no, no. Let's just talk about practical <laughs> stuff. That's just me. So if you do want to pay in advance and you're not close to death or you might be moving, then you can set aside a bank account and have it be totally dedicated. Like here's my. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's my money for funeral and memorial and whatever. And this is great, especially like a college if, fund, but for death. Exactly. Like a college <laughs> fund, but for death. And, <laughs> and you just have to be sure that your college fund for death is actually that you put your beneficiary payable upon death and you name somebody to have access to that account the minute that you die. So all they have to do is show up with your death certificate to the bank and then they can have access to the funds. Got Another it. option is there's there's a burial insurance or funeral insurance. And so you can actually like do it as like an insurance plan. Mm -hmm. And so you pay just a small amount every month and you know, whatever, like a life insurance plan. And then, you know, those costs would be covered by the insurance plan. What's crazy is there are all these options, but I feel like no one no knows about them. No one talks about them. It's true. You don't want to know about it until you have to. But we talk about this all the time. Talking about 
babies does not make you pregnant. So talking about death does not make you die. But there is just this feeling of like, if we're going to talk about caskets and this and that, it's going to bring it on. And it's so not the case. We should be talking about this so much more so that we're not left in shambles after a loved one's death trying to figure all this crap out. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to go with the talking about babies doesn't make you pregnant analogy, like if you never told anybody where babies come from or that they were born using it, like if that a doctor could help you or that you might need some stuff when you get home, like if it was like, oh, well, you know, I don't know what's happening to my body, but now, oh, wait, now there's a, what's happening? I've, I'm giving birth to a baby. I guess I got to figure this out. Like, what do I do with this cord? Like, you would never want to do that on your own. Yeah. And we have systems set up to help people. And it's really very much the same sort of thing. Well, you know, there's, there's a death doula movement too now, which is like coming from the birth doula movement. They're borrowing that term. So it's a end of life doula or death doula. And they they describe themselves as ushering people out of life in the mm -hmm. same way that a birth doula ushers people into life. Mm -hmm. And same kind of thing. We need help. Somebody to give you a little perspective, maybe just give you a little relief to just, you know, hold your hand and say, you're not doing it wrong. You're doing it. You're just fine. Oh, I had a doula for my birth and it was the best decision ever. I mean, within like the first seven minutes of having her, she already like proved her worth <laughs> with certain things. And I can just imagine how it would be the same way in death. I'm totally all about that. I've been connected with a few death doulas. I definitely need to get one of them on the podcast to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So good reminder. Okay. And then one of the times we talked, you mentioned the book, The Grieving Brain. Oh, yeah. I love giving the audience book recommendations. So tell me about that a little bit. For years, I have been asking neurologists and, you know, trying to read in different books, like what is happening when we're grieving. And a lot of this is just because like, when I grow up, I want to be a neuroscientist, you know, someday, like in the <laughs> future, you know, a little like baby hobbyist, whatever. But Oftentimes the response that I'd get is like, well, it's, it's very akin to serious stress. And I'm like, yes, it is. But there's something very specific going on. There's something different happening when you're grieving that is different from stress because it, you know, whether it's just because it feels different, it comes out of nowhere. That's the other thing about it. Like certain things, certain songs coming on the radio or seeing a, a particular piece of clothing or an old photograph or whatever, like brings up all of these emotions in a new way, which is different than, you know, when you're stressed and you get out of the immediate cause of that stress. It doesn't like re-trigger in the same way. This new book, The Grieving Brain, is the one that I've been looking for. And it's very exciting. First chapter, I'll just tell you sort of the opening of it and what got me super excited. Okay. Love okay. It. When we walk around in the world, we are actually walking through two worlds at once. We are walking physically through the world. Our body's moving through space and it, you know, collides or doesn't collide with whatever ground tables, walls, whatever. But we also have a map of the world in our minds so that we can imagine walking from one place to another. And as we're walking, we're basically like coding things and so that we actually know our surroundings, what, our surroundings, which is why like you can get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom without turning on the light because you're actually using a mental map. It's also how you can imagine your husband in another room 
because you have a mental map of him and you have a mental map of the room and why sometimes it's easier like if you send a kid off to college or if you have a friend who moves to another country you can better imagine them in that place if you actually go there because uh-huh. then you start to map that space and then you can sort of imagine them there. Oh, so, I see where this is going. Okay. Yeah. So when we have conversations with people on the phone, we're basically like imagining them there. All the time our brain is resolving these two worlds, the virtual world and the physical world. When somebody dies, your virtual world is the same, but the physical world has changed. And now your brain like has run into basically like an error. Right. Like, and it can't compute. Can't don't compute. Know what These to do. don't fit. Like, yeah. why is this locked? Who is missing? You know, the the analogy that she uses in the first one is like, imagine you're walking through your dining room in the dark, and and imagine that every time you walk through the dining room, normally you like bump your hip on the corner of the table, and you're just kind of used to that. Now imagine somebody has stolen your dining table totally inexplicable like why would anybody do that who knows but the next time you walk through the room you don't hit your hip and the absence of that is just confusing Mm -hmm. and you don't have any way of explaining it right and then it throws off your perception of the whole rest of the room exactly exactly wow and so that's a that's a key component of grief is the fact that we can still imagine them and the more vivid they are to us meaning the more close we are to them the more we love them the more vivid that thing is and the more strongly we generally know where they are how they would react and all of this but then it's just gone and so now your your brain just basically shuts down i'm looking at it in another way too in the fact of like we've never been to heaven Mm-hmm. So we can't put that mental map out of where exactly they are. I mean, I have thoughts, like I just said a few minutes ago, I'm like, my dad's sitting there with a cigar, like either on the golf course or the beach, because that's where I've placed him, but I don't actually know what it's like. So yeah. there's this struggle to feel a connection with him because I don't know where he is, as yes. opposed to, I know you, Sienna, are sitting in San Francisco. So I'm picturing you know, what your surroundings are like, and that helps me feel a better connection to you. So that is absolutely. Yeah. And it it gets even farther where it's like every religion offers some explanation for where that person is now. And also there's a way that we feel connected to like grave sites or memorial locations or places where we scattered the ashes. And it's, it's kind of because our brain needs a new place. Mm-hmm. to locate them. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. so even if you can't fully picture heaven, it's kind of like oh it's another it's another place. And so now instead of saying, you know, they're right here in front of me or they're just in the other room, they're kind of gone over there off in the ether. Yeah. Off in the ether, but I'm kind of still fi- imagining it as like a physical location in some way. Your dad and stepmom were cremated? Yes, they were what both about, cremated. What about mom? No, she was buried. Do you feel that pull to the physical burial site that you like have to go visit? Sometimes it's gotten less over time in many ways, which is actually a whole other thing. So I do, there's still some reverence that I have for that location, for sure. Even though I personally am of the opinion that like, once somebody dies, the body is just a body and the whatever is them is gone from it, yeah. you yeah. know, but I still, I still am connected to her plot 
in in some ways for sure. Mm-hmm. And I do respond to it differently than I do to the ground that's three feet to the left of it, which is somebody I don't know. Right. You know, so I'm like, there is something special about it. I don't know what it is. It's, it's still her grave. And, you know, that's still important as well as it's important to me where I scattered my dad's ashes, you know, like that location is still important. The act of scattering was really important. And it kind of like consecrated that, that location for me. Everyone in my life had been buried up until my father. And I grew up on the, we have to go to the cemetery at Easter and Christmas and this day and whatever. I mean, I, you know, history repeats itself. My dad's dad died at the same age. I literally grew up, you know, almost every Sunday we would go to the cemetery and I'd sit there and watch as he hysterically cried and, and the whole thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just like this place capsuled with horrible, sad memories. Mm. I didn't like the, the, like, I didn't like the pressure put on it. I didn't like you have to go and sit and be sad to honor that person. And I think that's kind of just like this thing that society put on it. And I think it's totally changed what I want for my own death and how my dad and him being cremated that now I feel like he's everywhere. I, Mm. I don't feel like I have to go visit one spot to really have him near me or that I'm not honoring him enough. I do like the aspect of there being a physical place. And I will say that that was something I felt that was missing. So we had a bench dedicated to him right outside of the, the, his office where he worked for like, you know, a million years. So I don't know. I can see that there being argument for, for both sides. It's a interesting thing to consider. Yeah. Have you scattered your dad's ashes? We haven't. Ah. We haven't yet. Yeah, we just had the five year anniversary. And I'm telling you, if you would have asked me in the first year, I would have thought it would have been way done and over by now. But we haven't. He's just chilling in a beautiful mahogany box in Mm -hmm. the the living room of his home where my stepmom lives. And you know, there's like pictures and some of his things around it. I guess that's kind of my my gravesite at this point. I'm you know, I had my hysterical breakdown there when I went on Mother's Day, but we'll get there in time. I think we want to do it in in the ocean, which is what you did with your dad or dad with my dad. Yeah, dad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you said you had a really nice moment with your brother. I did. Yeah, my dad and my brother hadn't talked for years, but they finally talked again right before my dad died, which was great. And when my brother and I then went on a trip for Christmas back to where my dad met my mom and everything in the Philippines, then I was like, you know, dad taught me how to scuba dive. This was where he was like the happiest in his entire life. He always talked about the Philippines. And I think this is the right place to scatter his ashes. And so I had no idea if my brother was going to join me or not. But I told him like, I'm doing this. And he's like, okay. And then he decided to come along. And so then the two of us talked about it. And he said, yeah, this is a good choice. Sometimes that's how you have to do it. You just have to be like, this is happening. Don't ask questions. Don't say, do you want to like, just, just do. That's exactly right. And, and I was like, how do I make this okay? Or, you know, like I'm like all like, I want my brother to be along, but I can't force him. And I could never force the two of them to talk to each other anyway. And so, you know, I was finally like, well, I need this for me. It's good for dad. I'm just going to tell my brother it's happening. Yeah. Listen, I don't condone like steamrolling the rest of your family. (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, like choices for dinner. Absolutely. If you want pizza, 100% get the pizza. But 
I, I don't think that you need to be like, you know, a dictator with these types of things, but there are so many decisions to be made that sometimes that's what people are looking for is just someone in the family to take charge and say, this is how we're doing it. This is what we're doing with the ashes. You either come or you don't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like somebody needs to make a decision and then you can respond to that. But the like, what if this and if that, it just becomes too exhausting. Mm -hmm and nothing gets done and it doesn't help anyone. Yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. If, if you need it, just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Know? Excellent yeah. advice from Sienna Stewart. I would love to hear the rest of your advice and what you call the essentials from your death binder. So tell us about the death binder. I will absolutely link to that in the show <laughs> notes and then give us the essentials. The death binder is my term for the collection of the decisions and documents and all of these kinds of things that you need if somebody's died. So the whole focus of dying kindness is to try to actually shift our conversation. A lot of the conversation right now around death and has always has been like, me, my will, my legacy, my this, my that, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of the actual what happens after somebody dies, it's the people who are still alive. And they're the ones who are gonna suffer if you don't have it together. So mm -hmm. the focus of dying kindness is to shift it so that we're paying attention to making these decisions now in order to be kinder to the people, people that we're gonna leave behind. And it's a huge mind shift. But once I started thinking about that and going through like all of the different things that I've had to go through and manage and the people around me have had to go through and manage, you know, around people dying, the list got really long and super confusing and stuff like that. So I created a template and I broke it down into three sections for the death binder. The first section is what you're, what you've been calling out the absolutely essential section. The second one is very important, really good stuff to do. And then the third section is very helpful. Like if you get around to this, everybody's going to be super psyched. But if you don't like <laughs> no bigs, you know, <laughs> like they'll have to deal with it, but it's not going to like stress them out and become super yeah. painful for them. So this is also thinking of the all of the, the documents and everything go far, far, far beyond the will. A lot of people think the, the only thing that they need to do is a will. So not true. Right. That is not all encompassing. There's so much other stuff. Totally. So on the absolutely essential list, actually the first thing that I put onto the essential list is a contact list. So simple. So simple. So many of us have moved away from our families, you know, and especially if you're not married, they're often, it's a family member who gets chosen to be the, the emergency contact. But if you've moved away from your families, is that the right person? Do you need somebody local? Would your family members actually know how to contact any of your friends? Mm -hmm. Would they know which ones are the most important friends or the ones who could actually handle this? Like maybe mm -hmm. they know so-and-so is your best friend, well, but how about you, anybody at work or anybody at work or any of the other like crazy networks of people that you actually want to make sure are informed. This is also very important, not just if you're dead, but if you get into an accident and you are not able to speak for yourself for whatever reason, because you're in a coma or, you know, whatever, you're just in the hospital, who is supposed to be called and who mm -hmm. can help pick up your kids from school, walk the dog, you know, cover for you at work, make sure that your volunteer shift at the homeless shelter is taken care of, like that kind of thing is like, 
who do you call? Yeah. On my contact list, I actually thought about the multiple circles that I'm part of, not all of whom actually know each other, and making sure that I have at least one person on that list that's within each of those circles. Right, like so a designated then, person for each branch to be able to communicate. Yeah, like a tree, I guess they call like it. Like a tree. A phone tree, it's, yeah. Exactly. Because I also hate the idea that a lot of people find out about stuff like through social media. Mm -hmm. and you know, it's like, I would much rather get a phone call than, than to do it like random post on social media, interrupting your workday. That would be distressing. You know, also I have experienced this. It's terrible. So the second most important thing on the absolutely essential list is your advanced directive. Again, this is actually for before you die, but you're still not able to speak for yourself. And so an advanced directive gives instructions about what kind of treatment you want that you're open to how do you want to how do you want people to care for you and how can you help them make decisions you know in alignment with what you care about is this where the term dnr comes in do not resuscitate yes so a do not resuscitate can be part of that it can also just be stuff like i would rather be able to speak to somebody and i can tolerate some pain or i don't want to be feeling any pain so morphine me up you know that's the kind of thing that you want to know. I was also just speaking with somebody who's in the building industries recently about the fact that sometimes people get into major accidents and non-lethal decisions need to be made on their behalf while they're unconscious. Like say somebody's arm got crushed and the doctor is recommending amputation in order to be able yeah. to survive. Is there a person that you have designated to make that decision? And would they know what you would decide in that situation? Would you, would you be willing to have an amputation or not? Like that's the kind of thing, you don't have to get into that level of detail, but you do wanna be able to help people think about how you would think about it. Mm -hmm so that they can make those decisions. You know, the, it also goes into the like, I don't wanna live on machines. Right. So, you know, if I'm on a machine, unplug me. Or some people are like, extend my life as long as possible. Maybe there will be some kind of treatment. I do wanna be kept alive. It's really, really helpful for other people if you can spell that out so that then they don't get carried with the guilt of like, did I make the right decision? Did I make the right decision? Did I make the right decision? Whatever the decision is that they made, mm -hmm. you know, because it's it's painful and you're just yeah. you'd just be causing them extra stress right it's also one of the greatest sources of um, strife in a family when nobody's designated to be the healthcare advocate and different people have different opinions and this right. often comes up between siblings and parents or parents and spouses or you know like it's just a it's just a mess that's the advanced directive another big note on the advanced directive everybody over the age of 18 needs to have one because until you're 18, your parents or guardians are the ones who are allowed to make those decisions. But after that, you really should have somebody designated as your healthcare advocate, and you should also write out your advanced directives and assume that it's like good for the next five years. This is my this is my key tip. Also, yeah, so you're not things like change. Things change absolutely, and if you know you thought of it as like, well, this is for when I'm older and dying. So you're making decisions based on that you know, it's hard to imagine. Well, that's a good point, right? So you should be looking at this as God forbid, but if it were to happen in the next five years, you want to be thinking about yourself right now, not when you're 80. 
Absolutely. And also, who do you know right now that would be the right person? Like, imagine that you're not married, but you're like, well, by the time I'm 80, my spouse will be making these decisions. (laughs) Like, who is that person? (laughs) So, you know, meanwhile, you're left out to, to dry if, you know, something happens in the more immediate future. Okay, or so confusing the hell out of your family. If or confusing the hell out of your says, family. My spouse has the right to everything. And your family's sitting there, who the hell is her spouse? Who's the spouse? What? I'm like, <laughs> She's married? <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> Advanced directives for the next five years. Powers of attorney. There's two main kinds. Powers of attorney for healthcare, which is the one that I've been talking about inside of the advanced directives. That's the person who can make those healthcare decisions for you. And then there's also powers of attorney for finance. So somebody who can make financial decisions is legally allowed to access your bank accounts, et cetera, et cetera. You can designate that those would be triggered in the case of something, you know, so like when you can no longer make decisions for yourself, when a doctor deems that you're cognitively impaired or, you know, like whatever it is, powers of attorney are legally binding. They're also very different from one state to another often. So you should get them done in whatever state you're living in primarily. And if you are moving around or spending like half a year here and half a year there, if you're like somebody who lives in New York and is a snowbird and goes down to Miami for like, you know, three months a year. Raising my hand. Maybe like uh, somebody I know on the other end of the mic, (laughs) then you want to have something for both of those locations because you're very likely to actually, you know, have to need them in one or the other and you can't predict where. Why is that? Why does it vary on state? They want them to be notarized and notarizing is generally done state by state, you know, so, so that's kind of the, the main thing. Like the language is pretty similar, but sometimes also like one state will allow some things when another one doesn't, for example, the right to die or to choose, you know, to end your own life. If you're in particular medical condition is not legally allowed in California and it is allowed in Oregon. So if you were to include that in your advanced directive, you would have to be in a state where it's actually relevant. Got it. So there's, there's that kind of some state by state stuff. Yeah. The other thing is if you are somebody who travels a ton, then, you know, like internationally, there is actually a system for being able to register these documents at the state department level so that an international doctor can access your healthcare directives. You know, if you're somebody who's like, I don't know. Traveling for business a lot or traveling for business or like you're a pilot or like whatever, you know, so like you might, there's like a good percentage chance that you would be out of the country whenever something happened to you. It's not like an occasional thing, but it's a, it's a, you know, 25% of your time or more kind of thing. Then you might want to think about doing it that way as well. Mm -hmm. Insurance. I touched on it a little bit with the funeral insurance, but even more important is like health insurance. What do you have covered? would anybody actually be able to find your health insurance? Mm. You know, if you have long-term disability insurance, that kind of thing, just like make sure that you have that information in your death binder. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, just make it easy. Don't make people, people go hunting and pecking through however way you keep your files on your computer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dependence. So we always talk about children when we come to dependents. There's also, of course, our pets are a big deal, but then there's also dependents that are not as often thought about, like 
if you're caring for somebody who's elderly, maybe you're somebody who brings dinner every night to a neighbor down the street. Does anybody else know about that? Mm -hmm. Is there somebody that somebody who's counting on you in some way? Exactly. And that maybe wouldn't be notified. So your your absence would definitely be missed and have a big impact on them. That's, you know, it's a good thing to write. Next is final disposition. So this is the fancy language for what do you do with your body? Ah, okay. So tell somebody. Which we talked about at length earlier in this episode. So Absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah. So do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? Do you have particular, you can also do things here where you're guiding. I would like to be, have my body be treated in the most environmentally conscious way, or I want to make sure that you follow the, the codes of a particular religion in the treatment of my body, mm. or do not do an open casket for whatever reason, or absolutely I want an open casket and I want to be dressed in this fabulous outfit. You mm -hmm. know, whatever it is, this is a, this is a place where you want to write it down. You want to talk it over with people and, and kind of be much more clear. I want to insert a funny story here. A former boss of mine, her father knew that he was going to pass and he had picked out his outfit and he had always said, you know, when the time comes, it's in the closet in this bedroom, it's hung up, it's all in the, the packed carrying case and it's good to go. Okay. Dad passes, it happens, she goes, she gets the carrying case, she travels with it. I forget where it was, but he was, a, you know, they had to go to a different stage of where he was actually being buried. And she arrives at the funeral home and this so-called complete set that he put together actually had no pants. <laughs> so she had to go out and get another pair of pants for him, but she was just like, for the love of God, dad. <laughs> yeah. So maybe take a look at that before you get on the plane. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Everybody's got some type of story. Absolutely. Like oh my gosh. Yeah. Another note on the final disposition, you know, for the side note for those who have changed their official gender since birth, you might want to specify that I want this outfit and I want to be using these pronouns and I want to be treated in this way. Mm. So that's another, it's another thing that sort of threads through for transgender folks in particular yes. as something to actually avoid a lot of strife and or anything where your family may assert wishes that are different from yours. You wow. want to have this stuff legally binding, spelled out, written out, make a video that makes it like very clear very that clear. you, this is what you want. And it, you know, will go a long way towards, you know, making sure that that will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All of that is so, <laughs> so good. Like, and, and I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, that's not like a huge monumental task. Like that's all things that I could probably handle mm -hmm. like I, I have all the information I need to do that it's, yep. it's really just taking the time to sit down and do it so oh this... wait there's one more on the oh. essentials list oh okay what's your will right oh. yeah yeah that's the will yeah. or trust but note that it is the last thing because one of the things that I did in terms of the essentials thing is you don't need the will right when somebody dies like these other things all the way up to final disposition is something that has to happen the day that somebody dies or even before they die as they're dying right those right. are all really needed yeah. exactly so the the will is three days later a week later yeah. whatever and that's something that takes a little bit more time 
you know, mm -hmm. as we're sitting here saying, you know, like, I think you put it in the perfect order because these other things like, okay, your contacts, like literally just pull out your phone right now yep. and think of like the tree that would be needed for people to be notified that something has happened to you. That all can be done pretty easily. It's, it's really just the mental capacity to say, okay, I'm going to sit down and do this. And again, yes. I want to reiterate you sitting down and doing this is not bringing death upon you but That's it right. is only helping you and your family and friends should something bad happen. So it, it is so, so important. Um, it is this like a physical template that you have on your website that people are able to, to print out and work through how, what's the format of this? Yeah. If you go to my website, um, I'll send me your email address and you'll get back a link to the Google doc. I made it a Google doc so that people can just download it and save it as their own so wow. that then they can edit it, you know, so you don't have to like type everything out all over again. You know, mm -hmm. if you don't have access to Google docs, just send me an email and I'll, I'll get it to you in another way. And what I like about that too, is you can kind of invite people in to, to work on it with you. Yes. So it's like, if you want to do it for your family and just be like, Hey, mom, dad, I know you're being pains of asses about this, but we're going to get this done. So I'm going to get it started. And then you, I'll invite you in on the document and you can just fill in the things that I don't know, or the things that you feel, you know, you want to have a specific say about. So that's a, that's a great format to do that. Tell me your website again, dyingkindness.com dyingkindness.com. Wonderful. Any last tips that you want to share or any last notes about grief before we close out today? The biggest thing for me is this stuff doesn't happen easily all in one conversation. Break it up into little conversations, do it over time, start to practice getting used to talking about it. The more you talk about it, the easier it gets. That's also true for grief. Find people that you feel safe you know, having the smaller conversations with or the ongoing conversations with or, you know, practicing or leaning on someone, you know, just break it all up and also kind of forgive yourself if you can't get through it. You know, if you do one thing, you're more prepared than you were yesterday. So yes. don't beat yourself up if it takes you a long time to do this. It takes a very long time. It took me a long time. And I'm the one who's like, I do this all the time. You know, I'm still not actually finished with my death binder, you know, but I did have the key conversations and do the essentials. And that was, that was important. Now I'm working through the rest of it. That's great. I mean, that's a whole other episode I'd love to have you on for in terms of talking with people about it and, and maybe having those difficult conversations because today we really focused on, you know, just why we need to do it for ourselves and how we can do that. But, you know, maybe that's something to, to tackle in the future too, because I love you and I'm obsessed with you and I'm going to think of any reason possible <laughs> to keep having you on the podcast. So fantastic. I have a whole Perfect. episode on getting the conversation started. So you can start there, but I Amazing. still also want to talk to with Gianna, you fabulous G money, my gal about all of this anytime you want. <laughs> I mean, we just want to excuse to talk about grief and death obviously yeah pretty too, much so. obviously yeah <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so so much for being here this was so helpful dyingkindness.com go check it out sianna stewart you are lovely and we'll see you again here on so sorry for your lawsuit thank you for having me thanks for listening head over to instagram to follow more at so sorry with gianna if you're listening on apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review i would love you for it more to come on this season of so sorry for your loss so stay tuned.